Andy just came to me one day and said, um, I come up with the greatest way in the world to pick up chicks. This is Al Perinello, a college classmate and one of the first people to book Andy as a performer. You want, want me to show you how, how that how that happens? I was with a couple other guys and we were like, yeah, you know, um, how, you know, can you do it like right now? I said, not only can I do it, but you guys can do it. It always works. It's the greatest thing in the world. And I'm like, oh, wow. Oh, yeah, who would? I mean, well, we're all horny guys sitting in the middle of Boston, a college city. There's girls all over the place and we're all shy. How do you do it? We want to know the secrets. Yeah, we want to know the secrets. <laughs> so he said, well, uh, let's go down to the uh, bus station, you know, which was right at that time. It was right in the middle of Kenmore Square. He said, look, look, it's really very simple. It's very simple. Something you do with your mouth. And uh, I, I, he said, and I can teach you how to do it. It's like, you, you, and he had us now in a circle. It was like three of us. And he's like, can you make this noise? And then he'd, he'd like put like an air pocket in his mouth and he'd squeeze it out. And it sounds like this. He said, they love it. It's the greatest thing in the world. I did it, and I couldn't believe they were flocking. They were all over me. And he said, now watch, watch, watch what happens. Let's wait for the next bus to come in. What I'm going to do, I'm going to talk. You guys stand back there. You can't, don't, like, don't, don't pretend you're with me. You're just over there, okay? I want you to watch me. Watch how this works. So he, the bus door would open, and he'd stand right at the bottom, at the lower, at the lower uh, you know, on the ground. As they were coming out, they were stepping out of the bus. And, you know, if guys were coming out, he'd just look the other way. If a girl came out and she was young, he would go, Hey, babe. <laughs> and the girls would, like, look at him and basically say, Get the hell out of here. Get away from me, you creep. Get the hell away from me. Where do you want to go? You want to go over dancing? Or you want to have a, a pizza? There's not much to do at this time of night, but uh, if you want to go, uh, we go, uh, we we have go uh, a bowling place. Bowling, you know, any all night bowling roller skate? And he turned around, he looked at us, and he put his hand up and said, Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Next one, next one. And he did that to every girl who came out of that door. Every girl. Hey, chick, how you doing? How you doing? You all right? Yeah, right? How you doing? Nice to meet you. And she said, Get the hell away from me. Get away from me. Every chick was pushing him away. <laughs> and then the last girl would come out, and of course she would push him away, and he'd come over to us dejected, and he said, I, don't, I just don't understand. I don't understand, but it does work. It does work. And <laughs> he said, Andy, we got to go. Goodbye. <laughs> My name is Christopher Allen Maloney, and this is Knowing Andy Kaufman a podcast documentary series about trying to understand who one of the most enigmatic entertainers in modern history really was, if that's even possible. Ladies and gentlemen, so far, everything I've done for you, really, I'm only fooling. This is really me.
This is episode four, Can't Help Falling in Love. Uh, when he was younger, I mean, there were some girls who uh, inexplicably, you know, liked him, you know, girls who were kind of, you know, too good looking to go for someone like Andy because he always had that kind of lost little boy uh, look about him. This is Gil Gevins, one of Andy's oldest friends. We heard a lot from him about Andy's teenage years in the last episode. I went to a, uh, a dress rehearsal for Taxi, uh, I don't know if they were filming or it was the day before they were going to film. And he invited me to go and, and see it. And uh, during a break in the action, this uh, woman came up to Andy, and it was she was the uh, playmate of the year from that year or the year before. And she was standing like an inch away, and it was just obvious. She was, you know, take me to bed. That's what she wanted. And uh, Andy was totally oblivious. He had no idea that she was even interested in him. He was just... You know, she was going, oh, I admire your work. Oh, thank you, you know. Oh, it's fine, fine, yeah, thank you. You know, he's like, completely not, not there. From Hollywood, the dating capital of the world, it's the dating game. Around the time Andy began his tenure on Taxi, he appeared as the foreign man character, this time with the name Baji Kimron, on the dating game a game show where a single blindly picks one of three contestants based on answers to their questions. And then when you figure out, after it's all over, which one you want, you've got a date, okay? Okay. All right, we'll start with a hello from Bachelor number one. Number one, would you say hi to Patrice, please? How you doing, Patrice? How about number two? How you doing today, Patrice? And number three? Hello, Patrice. <laughs> Andy, as Bachelor number three, showed little comprehension on how the dating game worked, and he kept demanding to know why he couldn't see the woman asking the questions. So, unsurprisingly, he didn't get picked for the date. You also didn't choose bachelor number three. I must tell you, this bachelor number three did not seem to know the rules. He was a last-minute replacement on the show. We, bachelor number three didn't show up, so we just found him out in the street, and it was very nice of him what? to come in. Baji, no. Kimran, Baji, but, come on and say hello, no. please. You mean I did not win? No. No. I did not, no. Come on, Bosch. No, I won. No. No, I won. But I, I won. I was, I, I won. No, you didn't. But I answered all the questions right. <laughs> no, Patrice, I did. Patrice didn't choose you, Bosch. But I, but I answered all the questions the right Come on. way. Come on, Bosch. No. She'll give you a kiss. No. I did not lose. I, uh, he I won it. He doesn't want to meet school. you. Let me tell you something about the bachelor. In reality... Game shows and bus stations aside, Andy led a very romantic life, especially once he became comfortable with himself as a performer. In the last episode, Al Perinello shared his remembrances of seeing Andy perform for the first time at Graham Junior College in Boston. But there was a layer to this performance that we haven't touched on yet. There was a sexuality permeating that particular uh, moment. It was almost as though he, were, he, he was um, making a statement to the women only at one point, where it was, you know, I look good up here, and you know that it would be great to be with me alone, you and I. 
he was sexy. I mean, Andy was a sexy-looking guy in his Elvis attire. You know, he had the lip, he had the voice, he had the, you know, the, the loud amplification of the music. He, you know, it, it was it was a sexual uh, moment. It was sensual, and uh, and the screams, <laughs> the women were screaming just like they did when Elvis appeared. It was wonderful. Once Andy came into his own as a performer, it was much easier for him to meet women. In many cases, they came to him. And while it might be tempting to write this off as a groupie situation or as women being enticed by fame, I think it's more accurate to say that on stage or in character, Andy was just undeniably magnetic. And the confidence his talent gave him must have been attractive as well. I still didn't know what he did, but I would think to myself, this guy's a performer. I just couldn't imagine him being a performer because he was just like so quiet and, you know, nothing on about him. This is Wendy Polland, known to Andy forever as Little Wendy, a friend and eventual collaborator whom he met through the Transcendental Meditation community. So I, you know, I, I saw his act. I can't tell you, you know, I'm sure you've probably seen a lot of his act on TV or in clips or whatever. It, it was just absolute magic to be there uh, in person. And I, I, so anyway, it's what's happening to me all over again. Um, I couldn't talk. I was dumbstruck, awe-stricken, whatever they say. I literally... When he got off the stage and just, you know, I sorry, I don't, I don't mean to be getting emotional. I guess I don't know, you know, and he came, like, to, you know, to just resume our friendship from whatever. I literally couldn't talk to him anymore. And I'll tell you, um, if we hadn't have developed a friendship to that point that we did, there's no way on earth I could ever have gone near him. I mean. I would have been so beyond intimidated. I mean, it, it, it was just so amazing. But he hung in there with me. Like, I guess, I guess he understood. Andy met lots of people through his involvement with Transcendental Meditation, TM for short. One of these people was a young woman named Kathy Utman. When he came across Kathy, he reportedly fell immediately in love. He said he heard bells in his head when she was near and brought her to his family home in Long Island to tell her how he felt. He said she was in love with me for a long time, like around Boston, but I didn't notice, sorry. I didn't notice because I was busy. And... But then I was at his parents' house. He must have come and picked me up. And we were in a cellar. It's not, it was more like a family room. And he said he was going to do this for me. So he started singing and doing things. And something in the air just changed. And I felt like this person's going to be great. 
I just felt that. I didn't know why, because he wasn't any, he wasn't even, he was like 18, 19, I don't even remember what year, I mean what age. It was just amazing, sitting in that little place on the earth, here he was doing the act, and I got these feelings of this is greatness. You know, some people treat you offhand, handedly, and he, he always treated me like I was special. So Andy, as a performer especially, captivated the opposite sex. It was like if he could do his act for a woman, then he wouldn't have to come up with a pickup line or impress them through other methods. If he put on a show or wrestled with them and they were into it, then the hard part was kind of over. He had shown what he could offer as a mate and they would either be okay with it or not. I mean, when he's banging on the drums or singing and dancing or strutting around like Elvis, it's not entirely dissimilar to some colorful bird in a nature documentary hopping around with his feathers up to attract a female partner. His stage must be meticulously tidy for what will be an incredible performance. This is who Andy was, and this is what he could do. And women liked it. So he invited me in to the little bungalow, and he was having lunch. This is little Wendy again, speaking here about the day they met. For the record, her relationship with Andy would remain platonic. Part of his lunch, he would put seven, specifically seven nuts on the plate, you know. And I'll pro- I don't want to forget to say this. A little while later, he dated Cindy Williams, who starred in, um, who was starring in Laverne and Shirley back then. And I, as far as I know, she broke up with him because he counted the nuts. You know? Another person Andy dated was Elaine Boosler, who would become an established comic in her own right. Please welcome Elaine Boosler. You. Oh, fine. Uh-huh. Nice audience. Real nice. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, Thanks they're great. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I haven't seen you in a while. Oh, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, a long time, actually. I know, it's been a long time. It's been years, I think. Yeah. You know, Elaine and I used to uh, go together about, uh, up till about eight years ago for about two years. Two we and were... a half. Two yeah. and a half. <laughs> right. That half and that year. was when we both... We both lived in New York City. Have you been to New York? I've been there a lot. We were, yeah. It was fun. I think about those days sometimes when we were really struggling, and then, yeah. you know, you made it real big way before me and Thank you. didn't really help me. Well. <laughs> but, um... This is from Andy's final television special. And while this is on a stage with an audience, my hunch is that it's not very different from a conversation they would have, or maybe even had, in private. It's like when Andy brought his parents out on Late Night with David Letterman to tell them how much he loved them. I think this is another case of something being performative and genuine at the same time. I remember when you went up there. That was, uh, uh, I stayed at your apartment and you said you were going away with your parents. You remember, this is about towards the end of the second year. And you said uh, that you were going to go away with your parents and I, I could stay in your apartment because I lived on Long Island and she lived in New York City and I wanted to stay in the city. So, uh, you, so I found out 
that you had gone with him. And then I called you at your house, and uh, you were, you know, and you wanted to break up. Two years after Andy died, Elaine Boozler became the first woman to get her own hour-long comedy special on cable television. She ended the program with an old recording of Andy, encouraging her to continue pursuing her career. When you go through a tunnel, you're going on a railroad train, you go through a tunnel, the tunnel is dark, but you're still going forward. You just remember that. You have to, but, but, but if you're not going to get up on stage for one night because you're discouraged or something, then the train's going to stop. You're still in the tunnel, but the train's going to stop. You just keep going, and every time you get up on stage, if it's a long tunnel, it's going to take a lot of times of going on stage before you come out of the tunnel and things get bright again. You keep going on stage, go forward. Every night you go on stage. And of course, Andy met hundreds of women in the wrestling ring. This is real. I am here to wrestle a woman, okay? I am here to wrestle up to three or four women, maybe. I'm not here just to, uh, just three women who just come out of the audience. I want a lot of competition here. What is everybody? I met Andy um, on Saturday Night Live. They asked for people to volunteer to wrestle him, and I volunteered. This is Mimi Lambert. You may remember her from episode two, Around the Kitchen Table, where she detailed spending Thanksgiving with Andy's family. And Lauren Michaels threw me on stage, basically. <laughs> I was the closest. So it was just very spontaneous, uh, improv, and uh, I wrestled him. Um, I believe I won, actually. <laughs> And then he thought he won because I was exhausted. And then I pinned him. I grabbed him and flipped him and got him down on the ground. It, 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 I haven't seen it recently. Recently, I did see it and laughed my head off. It was just hilarious. Absolutely. But we had fun. It was definitely a lot of fun. And really, that's how we met. It was bizarre. But, um, and, that's it. and we started dating after that. Mimi had never heard of Andy Kaufman at the time they met. I never knew anything about him before that. No, zero. And I think that's what he liked. That was the charming thing about it. Is I was like anti-television at the time. I wasn't watching TV. He would bring flowers. He'd pick me up and we'd go walking in the city um, in New York. And he would take me to restaurants downtown microbiotic, which I thought were really awful. I did eat the food that, um, and would go for ice cream and we'd go see movies. He was um, always doing little things like, okay, we're going to walk on the streets and we're going, or like when we were on Central Park South, we're going to get in a horse and carriage and I'm going to ask you to marry me and you're going to say no. No matter what I do, you're going to say no. Got it? This is, we're going to do this thing. I said, okay. So he asked me to marry him in the car, and I said, no. And he'd ask me again, and he'd go into lots of music, you know, whatever he'd do. go, geez, will you marry me? I said, no. <laughs> and people, the, the taxes, marry Lotka, lady. You know, you'd hear everybody. We had all these people around the horse and carriage. We'd go into the park that were following us, and, the, and they got bigger and bigger. And I said, no. And he'd go into all these different voices. Will you please marry me? She won't marry me. Will you tell her to marry me? I said, no. And he'd go. And all these little dialogues he went. It was like, no. And it was so much fun. I mean, we it was like a pawn, like, you know, teasing the, 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 the group of people that were around us. It was a prank. And it was hilarious. He was just, you know, playful. 
just a joy, a joy. He would shake anybody's hand. He was polite, gracious. He would protect you. He was just, he had morals. He was pro-life. Let me step in here to say that, as far as I know, Andy didn't have a stance on women's reproductive health in general. I think what Mimi is referring to pertains specifically to their relationship and whatever private conversations they may have had on the subject of one day starting a family. If I got pregnant, we would definitely have had the baby, he said. And, and he was just, you know, that's what he adamant about it, just made that very clear. The thing is, Andy was a father. When he was a student in Boston, an 18-year-old girl he had dated from back home called to let him know that they would be having a baby. They knew they shouldn't get married or try to raise the child on their own, and so the little girl was adopted before Andy had a chance to meet her. The baby's mother, Gloria, showed Andy some photographs of their daughter taken in front of a church when she was just a few days old. Andy didn't realize until much later, but his brother, Michael, was aware of the child's existence from the day she was born. He's very respectful. Um, He didn't take it lightly. He didn't make it, you know, he was very very serious about it. And and, and, and I believe it was Gloria that spoke to her once, and, and she said that he would talk to her about their child saying, gee, I wonder what she looks like. I wonder how she is. Have I ever passed her by in the street? What, you know, that kind of stuff. Long after Andy died, his daughter, named Maria by her adopted parents, learned who her dad was and connected with what was left of his family. She feels like family, and, and she, looks, she looks like Andy. She has Andy's eyes, and... Um, and she, so, so you know it's, it's Andy, and uh, she has six toothbrushes, or at least when I met her in 1993, she had six toothbrushes, and so did Andy. And, and, Andy, and Andy was one for every day of the week, and he takes Sundays off. Uh, who do you know who has six toothbrushes? Direct from Andy Kaufman's parents' house in Westbury, Long Island, it's time for Uncle Andy's Funhouse! It's kind of interesting to imagine an alternate reality for Andy, one in which he doesn't die of cancer at 35, or doesn't even become famous, and instead chooses the life of a conventional family man. I'm Uncle Andy, I'm Uncle Andy, in the good old USA. Oh, I think he would have been a great father and a husband because of the love he had for his parents and and his uh, siblings. Uh, it was such a beautiful love, deep love. Um, you can't take that away from anyone. It was, a, I think, a foundation that he had that made him the person he was. Here we go, here you go, Laz. There you go, okay. All that children's stuff, that's who he was. You know, a cat goes moon and a dog goes rough, you know. Around the rosy. Kathy, the one who made Andy hear bells when she was near him, says they would often sit together at night 
even years after their romantic relationship was over, and imagine themselves together in very old age, still the best of friends. One of the things we talked about was when we were really old, like now, <laughs> um, we, would, uh, we would live together. Maybe I'd live off the kitchen or something like that. <laughs> and uh, we'd, every night we'd sit together at the table and you know, talk about this and that, have our ice cream. <laughs> it was cozy, a cozy, happy feeling. And he had a family in that story. Sometimes I feel I feel mad at him sometimes because he, he's not here and he's supposed to be. <laughs> if Andy was not a performer and never went on stage, Al Perinello. I think his personality would be a backroom worker. You know, he'd be a great guy who would be very satisfied in sweeping up facilities and then going home. But a conventional life, in love or otherwise, was probably never in the cards for Andy Kaufman. And so his love affairs were mostly temporal, casual, open, even if they lasted for years at a time. Like after a performance and I meet people, um... You like to fuck around? Sure! This is from one of many recordings Andy made of personal conversations with other people. It's unclear who the woman in the recording is, or whether she's aware that she's on tape. Like, I always like to meet new people after yeah. a performance, and a lot of yeah. time, when it happens, it makes me very happy. Yeah. Or like, yeah. after a performance, girls realize that I'm only in town for a day. Yeah. And I that know. that's all that's going to be to it. Yeah. There's a moment from My Breakfast with Blassie, the pseudo-documentary of Andy eating with wrestler Fred Blassie, in which Andy clearly notices a young woman from the next table when she gets up to go to the bathroom. After he cranes his neck to watch her walk away, he turns to her friends who are still at the table. Hey, uh, tell me, someone wants something about your friend. The one who just left. She's not in Alpharetta. What do you mean? Yeah. 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 What about her? What does she do? What do you want to know? Uh, what, what, her name is Lynn? Her name is Lynn, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And what does she like? What, she like? Yeah. what are you trying to get at? Uh, Lynn. <laughs> the lady he was asking after was Lynn Margulies, and she was cast as a patron at the restaurant and would assist with editing duties on the movie, but she and Andy hadn't met before. Hey, Lynn. Here, sit down. Have a seat. Here, here. Have a seat. Sit down, honey. Sit down. So what was filmed that day is actually the first time they met. And again, it follows a pattern I've become familiar with as a student of Andy, just because it's being captured on camera, or he's performing to some extent, it doesn't mean it's not real. It is. Andy really liked Lynn from the beginning. When you first walked in, I noticed you right away, and I said to myself, now this is somebody who I give my time to. Because yeah. I, I don't give my time to anybody else. Any, just anybody. You, I would. Yeah. Lynn, That's and right. I said, Lynn, yeah. I have to spend time with this Lynn. So later on, we'll exchange numbers, and I'll call you. On the way out? Yeah. I think I'll rejoin my friends. Okay, listen, I'll see you later. Okay. Pleasure talking to you. Yeah. And this should sound familiar. Here you go. I'll, I'll uh, see you later now. Did you notice? It's that weird little mouth noise Al Perinello told us about. Andy's ineffective tactic to pick up chicks. She doesn't feel like the lucky woman she is. She's going to 
I'm gonna get her tonight, boy. Hey, I'm gonna She's she's really mm. Yeah, well, I gotta go. Well, I could sink my teeth into that, huh? Only here, I guess it wasn't as revolting as it had been on the streets of Boston because Andy and Lynn would start dating shortly after my breakfast with Blassie wrapped and stay together up until his death. She went with him to seek out the psychic healer in the Philippines when he got really sick and made a documentary about his wrestling career after he died. She's often viewed as the love of Andy's life. But personally, I think the love of Andy's life might be a title that's up for grabs. For some reason, I picture Andy walking the streets of New York with Mimi Lambert when I imagine him in love. Immersed in ice cream and movies and flowers and games in Central Park. He was my first love and I didn't know how to love. You know, I didn't, I was so innocent that it was um, my first love and I didn't understand that I should have said I loved you and I didn't. And it, that's what burned me for the, my life that I didn't say that I loved him. Does that make sense? I just always thought he'd be there. I thought we would continue our life later on. I just didn't think of anything. Um, I had a very strong connection with his parents, uh, his siblings. It was just uh, very difficult. And, you know, it's still sometimes very difficult. I, I almost get the sense that she regretted not accept, you know, not accepting Andy more so than she did. Um, because he was wild about her. Mimi had been temporarily living in London when Andy died in 1984. When he passed, um, and my brother had called me, and I came back from London. I think I cried the whole way. I came home to all these messages from him. I mean, he did not stop trying to get a hold of me, and he didn't realize I was in London. So I had six months of messages from him. He was trying to reach me for six months. I mourned him for over 36 years. I mean, I think I, I, I think it, it prevented me from having a normal relationship with another man. It was a very, a big blow. I remember him saying, if anything happens to me, you should live your life the way you should live and be happy. But it was a blow because it wasn't finished. It was unfinished. It, it, it takes a long, it, it never, I never got over it. Never. I died when Andy died. Does that make sense? I, I died when he died. I died because I didn't know how to live. It was such so painful for me that I didn't want to be creative anymore. So I didn't. I'm sorry. I didn't um, know how to deal with it. But if I do see things with him on TV, I laugh. I laugh so hard. Oh, I laugh. Knowing Andy Kaufman is produced and edited by me, Christopher Allen Maloney. For more information, find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Please rate and review Knowing Andy Kaufman on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Original music is by the incomparable Victoria Regal, with additional music by the late Eric Satie. 
Archival material is protected under the Fair Use Doctrine of the Copyright Act of 1976 and is intended for educational and commentary purposes. The recordings Andy took of himself talking to unidentified persons are from a record produced by Drag City called Andy and His Grandmother. Join us next time for Episode 5, Little Wendy.